Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And what I'd like to talk about in this episode is how to manage cash flow through the coronavirus pandemic. And it's something that uh, a lot of clients and people that I've been speaking to haven't had to do uh, previously in their life. Uh, And something I've been talking about not only with clients, but through other presentations and podcast interviews that I've uh, been doing, which will uh, be coming out over the coming weeks and months. Uh, Cash flow management is without a doubt the cornerstone of successful wealth accumulation. So it really doesn't matter how much you earn. Uh, If you can't manage cash flow effectively, uh, then uh, you're probably unlikely to be successful with building wealth. And I've seen clients with million-dollar-plus incomes with very little wealth to show for it. Uh, Conversely, I've seen uh, clients or people with very modest income levels but very good cash flow management, uh, and they've successfully accumulated a lot of wealth. So a large income is not a magic bullet to being successful with wealth accumulation. In fact, I actually think having a large income can be a negative because I think it uh, can potentially give you this uh, false sense of comfort that you actually don't need to worry about cash flow because you've got heaps of income and uh, surely you can't spend it all, uh, which is definitely not the case. And, uh, you know, I've seen situations where clients have a very large income and are just so surprised that they don't have any money left over to invest. Uh, The the topic of cash flow management... uh, can bring up painful connotations. Uh, You know, people can can, uh, think that what it means is eliminating all expenditure on all the fun things in life uh, and it being dreary and painful and, you know, all those sorts of things. Well, really, that's often not the case. In fact, uh, in almost uh, probably 99 times out of 100, it's not the case. And the aim of best practice cash flow management is really to eliminate unconscious expenditure. You see, there's conscious and unconscious expenditure, and conscious uh, people rarely make consciously bad decisions. You know, if I said to you, would you like to spend $30,000 a year on your gardener? Most people are going to say, no way, Stuart. You know, gardening's important, but not even close to that important. So therefore... Um, what tends to happen is that we make unconscious decisions with our expenditure. And sometimes they can be in very small amounts, but those unconscious decisions can be regular, you know, many a day, for example, over a long period of time. And it's quite insidious. That way we, we think, oh, we're not really spending, I'm living a lavish lifestyle, I'm not spending things, you know, big ticket items, those sorts of things, but I don't have any money left over at the end of the week, fortnightly or month. Um, And so by eliminating the unconscious expenditure, not only saves you money, but it's likely that it won't have any impact on your standard of living. So that's the good news is that good cash flow management doesn't have to translate into um, a, a deterioration of your standard of living. And the best way to eliminate unconscious expenditure is to track your discretionary expenditure at a total level over either a week, fortnight or month, depending on 
what your pay cycle is and how easy it is to track these items. You don't have to, another bit of good news is you don't have to track every single expense, just very much at a, at a, at a high level. So um, I tend to allocate expenditure into uh, seven categories, and these categories are listed in the show notes and on the blog on the website as per usual, so you don't have to necessarily commit these to memory. But there's three uh, non-discretionary expenses. Uh, the first category is financial commitments, and that, that can include rent and mortgages, car lease, school fees, child support, daycare, childcare, I should say, those sorts of things. The, the second category is utilities, pretty self-explanatory, gas, electricity rates, etc. Uh, and the third is health and education. Uh, so uh, that can be health insurance, medical expenses, uh, and, and those sorts of things. Uh, they're non-discretionary expenses in that they tend to be fixed. Uh, it's very difficult to overspend in those categories. Uh, and, uh, and you know, that when people are kind of leaking or cash flow or over, overspending money, it's, it tends not to be uh, in any of those categories. So that's the first three. Then the, the next uh, four categories to make up the total seven uh, what I would call discretionary or mainly discretionary expenses. So the first category there is shopping and transport. So that really includes food, clothing, beauty, petrol, car maintenance, uh, public transport expenses. Uh, the next one is then entertainment. Uh, so they're spending on annual holidays, gifts, eating out. Uh, the last two categories are either cash or other. So cash is really just withdrawals from the ATM. Uh, and you can't manage what you can't measure, and you can't measure cash expenditure. So try and minimise cash withdrawals and use either a credit card or FPOS, uh, PayPass and so forth. Very easy these days, and obviously uh, during the, the um, pandemic situation, uh, it's, a, it's a better way of making payment. Uh, and then other is really a catch-all category. Um, but those uh, four items, which are, as I said, shopping, transport, entertainment, cash and other, are what I would refer to as discretionary expenditure. And that's where, you know, if you are overexpending, that's exactly where it's likely happening. So the best thing to do then is to establish two accounts. The first account, which we'll call the savings account, would receive your salary income, rental income from investment properties and so forth. So all the income would go into the savings account. That would typically be your offset account that's linked to your home loan, or if you don't have a home loan, another investment loan. And you would pay all the all expenses from the first three categories. So that is the non-discretionary items, financial commitments, utilities and health and education uh, from that savings account. Then what you need to do is establish a secondary account, which we'll call the spending account. And you should then transfer a set amount each month, fortnight or week, depending on uh, how you're tracking things, uh, into that spending account. Uh, and you should pay all discretionary expenses uh, from that spending account, including shopping, transport, entertainment, cash, and other, as I've previously explained. Um uh, you need to set yourself a budget and that could be, let's say, $2,000 a month or it could be something uh, considerably more than that, whatever it is. Uh, and you know then uh, if you're coming towards the end of the month and you've got 500 bucks left in that account, you've done well. Uh, if you've got zero left in the account halfway through the month, you haven't done as well. 
Uh, and I've given a, a diagram which I've extracted from my uh, latest book, Rules of the Lending Game, uh, to depict you know how that account structure works. And it allows you at a very high level to sort of manage the expenditure levels and also course correct uh, after a, a, a very short period of time. Uh, so in our experience, merely setting up this bank, banking structure is almost certainly likely to result in a reduction of expenditure without any negative consequences uh, in terms of standard of living. Um, but most importantly, it will allow you to have a very good track of your cash flow uh, on a periodical basis. Uh, again, whether that's every week, fortnight or month uh, will uh, uh, will depend on your situation. Um, but also we can use the lockdown to kind of reset our spending habits, habits because unconscious behaviour tends to be habitual uh, and so breaking that habit tends to break that unconscious activity and the pandemic shutdown might help uh, people kind of achieve this to kind of reset their spending habits. Uh, if you run out of money uh, from your spending account halfway through the period or, or partway through the period, whether that again is a week or fortnight or month, uh, clearly that means you've spent too much, you've spent more than your budget and essentially what you'll need to do is just have a closer look at your spending habits, uh, which means going through that period and then allocating uh, the expenses out amongst those categories, uh, so shopping, transport, entertainment, cash and other, as I've uh, previously explained, and identifying you know where this over-expenditure is occurring. If it is occurring in a conscious category, it's a conscious expenditure, uh, then uh, you can, uh, my advice is to either reduce the amount per transaction or reduce the regularity of transactions. So let me explain that. If, for example, you love eating out, that's something you really enjoy um, uh, to do as a family or with your partner, um, and if you eliminated that, uh, that is eating out, Obviously, it's been forced upon us over the last few weeks and months, but as a, as a permanent thing, that's going to have a, a real negative impact on your standard of living. So therefore, what you can either do is reduce the spend per the time per time you eat out, so go to cheaper restaurants, uh, order a cheaper bottle of wine or have a glass of wine. Uh, or if you really like fine dining, for example, you don't want to compromise on quality, uh, then reduce the regularity. So instead of eating out once per, per week, eat at once per month or once per every couple of months, for example. Uh, the temptation, uh, clearly, um, once people start to become aware of cash flow management, is to try and eliminate these levels of expenditure, these types of expenditure in totality. Uh, so these, they might say, look, we're not going to eat out for six months now. Um, uh, but I would caution people uh, from doing that because it's really sustainable. Uh, remember, the aim is to try and um, uh, build good cash flow management practices on a permanent basis, not a temporary basis. And, uh, you know, not eating out for the rest of your life, probably, particularly if you enjoy it, is probably not going to be uh, something that's going to be sustainable, as I said. Of course, there's some technology that you can use to help you do this. Um, and uh, so the probably the most popular app is Pocketbook. Uh, and I've got a link in the in the show notes and on the blog and the website. And essentially what it does is it downloads, automatically downloads your transactions from your bank account and then learns what you're spending money on and then automatically um, uh, allocates that to predetermined categories. And you can have a budget for each category and then a notification when you get close to exceeding that budget. 
Um, it's, I mean, if, you, if you're happy to do it, that's obviously um, even better uh, cash flow management. But in my view, as long as you're tracking as a high level and you're comfortable with that expenditure amount, uh, you don't need to get into that sort of granular level of detail. Um, and again, you've got to ask yourself whether that's going to be sustainable. Uh, it's not going to suit everyone. For some people, love to have that level of transparency over their finances, and that's great. But as I said, it's not going to suit everyone. Of course, there's two big advantages of improved cash flow management. The first one is obviously you reduce your waste and you, therefore you've got more money left over to invest and that's an obvious advantage. But the other advantage is that it, it gives you much better data to base uh, financial decisions on. So for example, if we're contemplating helping a client upgrade their home uh, and we really want to extend the budget as far as we can, and we're confident we have a good understanding of what their cash flow looks like, uh, then we're going to be in a better position to give better quality advice. However, if we don't have a good understanding of of what a client's cash flow looks like, uh, or we believe they don't have a good handle on it, uh, then we're probably going to be more conservative than aggressive when giving our advice. So it really does aid that decision-making. And, you know, in my experience, um, 90% or more of people really don't do any kind of cash flow management. Uh, So don't feel bad if you fall into that category. Uh, A lot of people uh, aren't doing these sorts of basic things, um, mainly because they haven't been taught and haven't been shown. Uh, And the thing is, when I ask people, you know, how much do you spend, uh, most people, that, that particularly ones that aren't tracking it, are very, very bad at forecasting or, or guesstimating how much they spend. And it doesn't tend to um, either be underestimating or overestimating. It's a, a hodgepodge of, of just bad estimation. So um, until you start tracking these things, you'll be surprised by the amount either delighted or um, uh, put off or disappointed by how much you're spending. Uh, but the point is, what you don't uh, measure, you you can't uh, manage. And that's that's really the point. Um, and lastly, if I leave you with the fact that good cash flow management doesn't have to be painful. It can be an actually enjoyable and rewarding and empowering process. And it's really just about having those two bank accounts managing at a high level. And that would take you 90% of the way. Uh, if you uh, get to the point where you master your cash flow and want to start talking about, you know, what next? How do you invest that surplus, that newfound surplus in, in uh, cash flow? Of course, don't hesitate to reach out. But until next week, that's it from me. Bye for now.